isn't it good to be here today? I think of Peter often now when I remember his exclamation on the Mount of Transfiguration as he sees Jesus and Moses and Elijah. He says, it is good for us to be here. And I think of that often, especially when we have Sundays like this. Sorry, mic back on. That might be my bad. Test one, two. Testing one, two. Hello. Good? Okay. I think of that often when we get a chance to all gather together here on Sundays. I don't think we recognize what a great privilege we have to be able to get in our cars, go on roads that are open, and be able to come to Calvary this morning. We got a little bit of a taste of what it's like to not have church, to not have fellowship. You know, this time last year, we had a hurricane come through here, and as a result, we had major damage to the water line that came into the building. And that was a three-week repair, and we had no running water, so we were not able to meet here. And before that, we had COVID happen. And you remember what that was like to have church from afar, and we've had live stream way before COVID, but it was different knowing that there wasn't an opportunity to be here together. So when we think about the fellowship that we have here on the earth, we should think of how precious that fellowship is. It should be a very high priority on our lives as Christians to get around one another, to rub shoulders with each other, to ask, how are you doing, and to wait for somebody's response. This is not something that the world will enjoy for much longer. If you take a look at the uh, temperature of the planet right now, and no, I don't mean on a climate change level, I mean on a political level, you can see things are falling apart. We can begin to see the bubbles on the top of the water pot as the world is boiling to the point where the Lord will come back for his people. And that return will be a return in which every eye will see him. Not the rapture, but at Armageddon, the end of that seven-year tribulation period. It's going to be a great and terrible day. And we can see the groundwork has, I don't even say the groundwork has been laid. It's been laid. It's now being walked on. You can see things are getting worse. And that's why I think Sundays like this, where we set aside one Sunday out of the year for homecoming, shouldn't just be one Sunday out of the year. We should do this every opportunity that we have to be here at Calvary and fellowship with one another. I get emails every single week about people asking me for a clear church in their area. They're asking me, what about this statement of faith? What about this uh, clip from their pastor of a church that they're thinking of attending? And before, it used to be something that was burdensome. I would say, you know, it's, it's difficult, but I don't have a suggestion for you. Sadly, there are no churches available in your area. But now it's gone from burdensome to just it breaks my heart. It really does. Many of you remember uh, Grant, who was here for just about six months as he was playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, he's back in Indiana now, um, where his, his wife's family is, and they are looking for a church. And one of the things I told him, they have two young kids, one of the things I told him was, don't sacrifice the clear gospel for convenience. And with that, he, he now has a very discerning eye for statements of faith. And he sent me one already. And folks, they added in, it's so subtle. It's so subtle. They'll say we're saved alone by faith alone in Christ alone. But then they'll say things like, true saving faith will be manifested in works. Or you have to be water baptized to show that you really believe. 
And these things to us who are fine-tuned to the clarity of the gospel, we can see the danger in that, but many people don't. One of two things happens with many of those families. They'll end up going to a church and they're not saved to begin with and they get caught up in false doctrine and they look to themselves as the justifier of their faith. Or they are a saved family. They bring their family into a church like that and they hear incorrect doctrine and they become ineffective in being able to share their faith with somebody else. Listen to many interviews of people who have come out of Calvinism, come out of uh, Catholicism, and one of the things that they experienced outside of just having peace and security was now they could share their faith with other people. Because before they knew on the inside, they're a hypocrite. If the standard is righteousness, they're doing good, but they're not righteous. They're not perfect. And so it would be a constant battle in their minds. So when we have a chance to be here in a church that teaches the gospel clearly, we ought to rejoice We ought to be thankful that there were men and women who came before us who made the gospel clear and kept it that way. You'll see after the service today as you linger around and in the back building we have about 15 minutes worth of slides. And that's just a very small taste of the pictures that were sent. Literally hundreds, hundreds of pictures came in and I thank all of you for that. But you can see throughout the years you see people's smiles, you see people who have gone on to glory You see people who stood and defended the gospel, and you see new faces too. I like all of that because it reminds me that the gospel is still effective. We have not changed that message to match with the times. A lot of churches have. They've had board meetings where they say, we got to get away from the old hymns. It's not culturally relevant anymore. You can see what happened with cultural relevancy with Lot. He became as culturally relevant as he could in a city that despised God and worked against what God said was right. We have to stand out. We have to stand on things that are true. We have to stand on things like the Word of God in order to keep something like this going because the minute or the day or the year when the gospel is no longer a focus in a ministry like this is the minute or day or year it starts to die. We see now there's different types of services, right? You have contemporary and you have traditional And sadly, when you have a contemporary and traditional, the traditional one ends up just fading out all the way. Because the contemporary ones, and I'm not bashing the music or anything, but there's there's not a lot of truth that's given in those messages. Because we're trying to reach people where they are, and I understand that, but you know what people need? People need the Lord. People need to know that there has been a payment made for your sins, and all you have to do is believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God, whose name is Jesus, and you can know that you have eternal life. Such a good message, such a, a, a message of joy and excitement, but it's so often rejected. No, we need more. We can't talk about blood because that's offensive. We can't talk about sin because we're dealing with sinners. Boy, you should study Jesus' ministry. It's 100% against that message. He was, uh, in, in many cases, abrasive, not to the point where it was sinful, but to the point where he was exposing the danger of the false doctrines that were going around, how serious it is. When we see the story, the historical account of the rich man in hell, folks, he is still there. After he asks for cooling of the water on his tongue or just a little bit of relief, he recognizes his total inability to get out of that place, and his next focus is, somebody tell my family. That tells me that there are people 
in hell who are praying for their loved ones. Somebody to go reach them. Somebody to go tell them the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And even in that story, we see the rich man say, why don't you, Abraham, why don't you go and tell them? And they said, they won't. he said, they won't even believe if someone came back from the dead. And here we are 2,000 years later. Jesus is risen. He's coming back, amen? And people still don't believe. People are looking for all types, all sorts of comfort, but they don't look to Jesus, who has paid it all for them. I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. I've got four points that I want to share with you today with the focus on when we all get to heaven. We know the hymn, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus will sing and shout the victory. I love that hymn. I love all the things in the Bible that give us encouragement and hope. But the four things that I want to focus on today is how we do this Christian life together. There is no Lone Ranger Christian. There is not a command for us to separate from one another and to suffer alone. There is beauty now that we are in this body together. And last Sunday night, I spoke on this at length about unity in the body and how it's one body but many members. And when I look out here today, I see people that have served in this ministry, and it's a great encouragement. It's very good to see you, and I really do mean that. It is good to see you. And I know that the fellowship we get to have today is but a taste. It's a precursor to what we will have in heaven. We can't, remember, we, we can't forget why we have that encouragement, why we have that joy. Why is it? Because of Jesus Christ. And that's why I love that hymn, when we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, I'm going to talk a little bit here about how we're born into a family. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, this is on page 1249. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Folks, every week it seems I get an alert from my bank account that says low balance warning. Okay? I haven't done anything. I frantically look for Kyla, you know, no reason. But I look for her and I say, what's going on? You know, we just had money put in the account. But my bank is so faithful in making sure they tell me, you are so close to being broke. It's very discouraging, but it's also a good reminder. I like verses like this because they tell, I'm not going to get a low balance warning when it comes to the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Isn't that exciting? And you're not running up a tab either. You're not running up a credit card bill that when you get there, he's going to say, all right, Jesse Martinez, you thought PNC was bad. You didn't do this, you didn't do this, and I loan you this, and I loan you this. Look at that verse. Who hath, it's already happened, blessed us with how many of the spiritual blessings? All. Boy, this ought to make us jump up and down and, and, and shout and be excited because we have complete sufficiency in Jesus Christ. Is your health bad? Yes. Are we broke? Amen. All these things may be true. Do we need a new vehicle? Yes. Whatever it may be. But is that enough to get us down and to stop us from recognizing what we have in Jesus Christ? Shouldn't be. Look what it says in verse 4. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The promise of our glorification. 
I don't want to get into the details here because that's not the focus of what we're addressing, but this verse speaks volumes to the fact that all who would believe, they're predestined to be just like Jesus Christ. Why? Because they will be in Him. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1-3 through 3, tell us this, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we can be called the sons of God. This is who we are now. This is who we are right now. I was watching a video just before I um, got ready for the service today. Someone had sent it to me, and it was this psychologist, and he was talking about, you know, who are you really? You know, you have a name, and those are just words. So when I say, I am Jesse Martinez, it's not who I really am. And this guy was getting so deep and so profound. You know, everyone's just like, wow. You know, it leads to Hinduism at the end of it, this idea there's an existence outside of what we have right here. But there is a truth in this that we are spiritual beings. And this is what I want you to recognize. Yes, you have a name. You're Bob something. You're Mary something. Whoever it is, I get it. But also, you're a child of God. You're in Jesus Christ. Before the foundation of the world, God knew who would believe and who would not believe. And he said, those who would believe, I am predetermining their destination. That's exciting. Can you imagine buying a plane ticket to New York today? and getting an email from United Airlines that says, we hope that you end up in New York. <laughs> Enjoy your flight? Question mark? Not sure. No, when you buy that ticket, you are into an agreement with that airline. You, United Airlines, will take me, Jesse Martinez, to New York in the United States at this time. Matter of fact, if I get on that flight and I end up in California, something happened. And if I got on the flight to New York and they take me to California, whose fault is that? Well, that's the fault of the airline. Because airlines are totally trustworthy, right? They never change plans, always on schedule. <laughs> that's a joke. You can laugh, it's okay. But who are we trusting to get us to heaven? We're trusting God. We're trusting Jesus Christ. Does he make mistakes? You think he's going to go down the list? He's like, okay, I got Linda Heckman here. George Heckman, who is that? I, I forgot about George. No, that's, that's not how that's going to go. Look at verse 5. Having predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. See, it was God's will that this is how people would be saved. That word adoption is very precious to me because we got to do that this past year. As a matter of fact, a week from Thursday, excuse me, a month from next Thursday will be one year. Isn't that crazy? Uh, insane. You know, we're planning the birthday party now, and Kyla's like, we're only doing this once, everything else small. I'm like, yeah, you, that's how I was raised. You know, it was just a small little birthday party. But it's, it's beautiful that I know, should the Lord not come back by the time we get a chance to talk to our daughter and explain to her the situation that she's in, I have a great example for that mom and dad, me and Kyla, we're adopted too. We're adopted into the family of God. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, to pay for our sins. And the only thing that had to make that adoption finalized was, will you believe? Dr. Myers has written a wonderful article. Dr. Myers, one of the teachers here at Florida Bible College of Tampa. It's 61 plus things that happen to you the moment that you believe. Wouldn't it be amazing if we went through all 61 of those things the moment somebody raised their hand and said, yes, I'll trust in Christ? We'd be here for a long time, but you know what? Our eyes would not be dry. 
as we recognize the things that are true of that person who just trusted Christ, they're true of us too. And we're brought in. One of the beautiful things that has yet to happen in our adoption here with, with our daughter is the finalization ceremony. Where you go to the court and you have the whole family there and everything is brought into order and there's, uh, her name is written and she has her birth certificate that she had from birth. And then Kyla and I have to stand up before the court, get sworn in, and give an account as to what we will do, what we promise to do for her as our daughter, to protect, to care for, to love, all these different things. And then that judge, once he hears what he believes is satisfactory, will then issue a new birth certificate. And one of the greatest things about this truth is that on that birth certificate, it is not labeled on the day of the adoption. It is brought all the way back to the day of birth. It's a picture that this is as blood. This is binding. And you see this picture in our salvation. God's not looking at us from the very point that we trusted in his son. When he looks at us, justified. Totally declared righteous. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Isn't it great to know that when God looks at you, even though you have sin in this present life, you will be glorified? That's something you can look forward to and you say, how can I know? Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Guess what? You can know. And it's a great and wonderful truth. And we'll see more of that in Romans chapter 8. Let's go there now. The book of Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse number 15, this is on page 1201. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Now this is important as you look at your Bibles here. The King James Version has the S in spirit capitalized, and there's a reason for that. This is the Holy Spirit. He's called many different things in the New Testament. Jesus calls him the Comforter when the Spirit will come. He's referred to in the, Old Te- or in the New Testament as the Holy Ghost in some places. But this Spirit of adoption, it says, but ye have received. This is important. You already have it. What is it? The Spirit of adoption. Now, we know the Holy Spirit seals us until the day of redemption according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. And in 14, it tells us that he is our, the earnest of our inheritance. But we also see here that he is described as the spirit of adoption. This is how we are born again. We have this new nature now, whereby we cry, Abba, which is the Jewish word for Father. Isn't this amazing to see here that no longer, it is still true that he is our God, But now there's a second designation, Father. And if He is our Father, then that makes us what? Children. Boy, I love it here when all the kids are here. I love it when it's a work day and I'm here in little down the office and sometimes I hear, "Uh you know, you know, well, they're learning. Walking is hard, running is harder. The wall is very hard. <laughs> but they, you hear all this, and they're learning to talk. They're learning to communicate. All these different things. And you see it, and you, and, and you think, what's beautiful about this is, I know their parents. I know that their parents are, are they're going to heaven, and they want to raise their children right. 
and we can come alongside and do that. It's the same kind of relationship that we have with God now. No longer is He just the judge. He's now our Father, in which we get to, we have a room in the house. It's not a guest room, folks. It's your room. You're not here for the weekend, and then, you know, you got to go. Get out. No, and He loves you, and He provides for you, and He loves for us greater than any kind of illustration we could have here on this earth. When I was the youth director, one of the hardest things for some, especially young girls, for some of these teenagers to understand is that God is our Father. Because two things are true of many of the kids that were in our youth group. Number one, they had no dad. Dad was out. And number two, the father that they did have was either absent or just a tyrant. And that's a hard thing. You look at a kid and you say, you know, God's your heavenly father. And I began to pick up on this. Kids were not responding to that. They, they were seeing it in the scripture, but they weren't like, oh, that's a comfort. And you have to begin to teach them that in this fallen and broken world, people make mistakes. But God does not do that. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5, tell, verse 5 tells us that in Him is no darkness at all. There's not this side of God that is evil that He chooses not to execute. In Him there is no darkness at all. And later in chapter 3 of 1 John, it says, in Jesus there's no sin found in Him. This is a great comfort for you and I. We can know that whatever comes into our lives, we have a God that is wholly righteous, wholly true. And as He disciplines us, He does it out of nothing but love. There is no wrath. Now, you may say, well, hang on a second. Well, who satisfied the wrath of God? Jesus. So now when God has to discipline us, we know it's out of love. That'll change how you respond to discipline. You know, kids will struggle with rebellion. It's the one thing that they learn. Our daughter's learning it right now. Okay, it's funny because we're in the, uh, at her six-month appointment, which was a little bit ago, there was a little, you know, they give you a little booklet as you're waiting for the doctor, and it's like, you know, just reading all this stuff. And it's like, how to discipline your nine-month-old child. And I thought, that's three months away. Don't have to worry about that. You know, and they're, they're giving you things like that, looking for warning signs. Can I tell you that nine months happen so fast? Now, if she wants to do something, she's learning I can make this happen. <laughs> She's learned, you know, she knows words like mama, she can wave, you know. You say, Remy, clap. She goes, and that's acceptable. You know, I'm not going to go, no, you got to, come on. But that's cute, right? It won't be cute if she's 30 and she's doing that, you know. <laughs> be like, what's going on? <laughs> but there's a point now where it's like, hey, Remy, you know, she's going for a shoe. No, and she'll do one of these. And then go right back to that shoe. Put her on the changing table. The back just... just so upset. Doesn't want it to happen. We're seeing that more now. And I didn't have to teach her that. She learned that from Kyla. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Just relax. Okay. She already had that built in, folks. It came with the whole thing. And it came with you, too. Isn't it hard sometimes to just simply do what we're told? You can't tell me to do anything. Well, you can think that, but that doesn't make it true. And ki kids struggle with this all the way into adulthood. Many of you still have this rebellious nature. We all do. You're married long enough, you definitely know you have it. This is a part of our sin nature. 
This is a part of you know, what separated us from God and what needed to be paid by Jesus Christ. There is no rebellious nature in God. There is no act of defiance in Him. And as He disciplines you, He disciplines it from the attitude of love for your benefit. Look at verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are right now the what? Children of God. Born into this family. And if children, oh, there's so much more. This is the classic, you know, made-for-TV ad. But wait, there's more. And if children, then what? Heirs. You have a right to the inheritance. Heirs of God. And whoa, joint heirs with who? Jesus? This is why there's one thing. When I'm, when I'm focusing and I'm praying and I'm thinking on that word thankfulness, I I am thankful for God's grace. I do not deserve this. You do not deserve this. But we have it. If so, be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also, what? Glorified? Hang on. Together. This is a family thing. I love that we do the missions conference, and Lord willing, as we continue to raise funds, we'll have one next year. But when we do the homecoming on the off years and we focus on these things, we are, there is a coming a day, folks, whether you like the person next to you or not, you will be glorified together with them, together with Christ. Oh, because I'm so good and I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to drag you along. Come on, follow me, follow me. No, we look to Christ. I think people forget this, you know, because we're so busy reacting to life. Something comes in and we, just, we, we are so unprepared, we just totally lose it. Something happens, a health crisis, which, you know, that happens quite a bit with people. And all of a sudden, we just absolutely forget who we are. You know how you can prepare for those times? You start to live the truth of that now. When times are good, you're prepared. My second point here is that we are serving together. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We are serving together. So we're born into a family, and now we are serving together. 1 Thessalonians, uh, there in Thessalonica, Paul had a great experience with these men and women as they responded to him and began to serve with him. That was not always the response that Paul got. You know, when he spoke on Mars Hill, there were some that mocked him, told him to get lost. There were some who said, I will come back and hear you. And there were some that believed. It's not a guarantee that we're going to be received well. As a matter of fact, in 1 John, it tells us the world is going to reject us because it first rejected him. We should expect that. We should come to um, expect that to the point where we're not surprised when it happens. I always think it's interesting when people, they, they spout Christian topics, right? But they're not Christians. This is happening to young men today. I'm seeing it quite a bit. They're being red-pilled. You know, they're, telling, they're, they're being told that you know, what you do in the gym is who you are, and, 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 and how you treat your women is, is who you are. Folks, you, you start digging into that and seeing what it really is, it's just stoicism. It's just this idea that you can become the greatest version of yourself. The leading psychologist of our time who's very vocal, Dr. Jordan Peterson, he teaches things that are against the Scripture. And I'm so glad that I don't have to run to a YouTube channel to find out who I am. I'm already told who I am. And the people in Thessalonica, they had some problems. You know, you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, they had some things that they still had to abstain from. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we have a very intimate description 
Starting there in verse 13, would you join me? For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which you heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. They had reverential respect for the things that Paul and the apostles were carrying to them, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. That's a very strong statement against God's people, the Jewish people. I want to say this as a, as a reminder because we know what's going on in Israel right now. The greatest thing that can happen to God's people is that they accept their Messiah. That's the greatest thing. Things like that, that what, what I just said, would cause major controversy in Israel right now. Would not be received well. But does it make it less truth? Because it's not received? And boy, I'm seeing it. People are jumping on this conflict as an opportunity to get views, to get, thing, you know, get things boiled up. Very rarely, I want to say, outside of one, Dr. Arnold, because he posted a video on it and he actually told them what was true. Outside of that, people are just, they're not going to the truth. People are trying to politicize this idea of who should be in the land or not. You have politicians saying the phrase, occupy Palestine, and then they say they're for Israel. Uh, what? <laughs> this is like saying, I enjoy the color red, and I despise the color green, and then saying, yeah, I love green. That's good. They don't, they don't go together. We don't support Israel because our party supports Israel. We don't support Israel because our country stands behind Israel. We support Israel because God gave them that land. That's, that's on Him. He's the one. And so we stick with that, amen? But right now, the way... Israel is today, they reject their Messiah. Vehemently, may I tell you, vehemently. It was happening in this time. They were persecuting the church. Paul, before he became Paul, when, when he was Saul, he persecuted the church. But what was encouraging to him was those new believers in Thessalonica, they walked with him. They went through this together. Look at verse um, 18. Uh, excuse me, verse 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more abundantly to see your face with great desire. I wanted to make sure we talked about this because that's what we're doing today. We're seeing each other. But even though we haven't been able to be physically with one another, is it true that you have kept one another in heart? What does it mean in heart? Oh, right here. Well, I did until I had the transplant. No, no, no. Up here. Have you prayed for one another? Have you thought, I know I haven't seen so-and-so in such a long time, but I'm praying for them? You long to see one another? Look what he says in verse 18. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again, but Satan hindered us. Boy, if I can speak plainly, I think that's the number one reason why people stop being in clear ministries. Satan hindered you. And let me tell you, I'm not excluded from that. There are things that happen. Oh, let me tell you what happened this morning. We got here for choir practice, right? I'm excited, you know, well-rested. <laughs> Ten-month-old, you know that's a lie. 
get here, you know, excited, have my coffee, you know, talking to Bob. We're reminiscing about how great yesterday was with the Christian Youth Ranch thing. And I kid you not, the power went out. And I don't mean it was like, oh, it was a transformer, whatever. No, no idea. We have practice in five minutes. There's no power in the building. The fire alarm is going, wah, wah. All the computers are like, I'm on battery, I'm on battery, something's wrong. And I'm sitting back here like, you know, really? It was out for 40 minutes. I ended up just sitting in that, in, in that chair right back there, and I was just like, well, you know, it's nice outside. At least we have some fall weather. This is one of the three days we'll enjoy, and it happens to be today. That's great. We'll just go outside and sing some songs, and, and then I, 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 I looked at, I forgot who I talked to, and I said, we'll just go in the back building, thinking, yeah, there's power back there. There's no power in the back building. <laughs> power comes on. By the way, the guy who runs the sound booth, he walks in, he brings the power with him. Turns on, he's like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, we're like, yay, it's on, sweet. He walks down here, he goes all the way. As soon as he steps out, it goes out. I had literally just turned that thing on. By the way, that little generator there, or whatever that is that runs the sound, it shouldn't be turned on and off quickly. You can have major outage. I click the button, Robert walks out, boom, no power. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Satan is hindering. And guess who walks back in the room? The power man. Robert walks back in, totally oblivious. He's just like, oh, power's back on. I'm like, you stay right there. Don't leave. Stay right here. We need you. <laughs> you know, your mind is racing. We're trying to figure out what are we going to do. We don't have power. I was sitting here with Bob, and we were, we were just talking, and I said, today's going to be great. Today must be really good if the devil's trying that hard to make it not happen. But you know what? The power came back on. Paul right here, Satan hindered him. He was not able to do the things that he sorely desired to do. But that did not stop him from writing verse 19. What is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? It was them, it was those that he had led to Christ that he was so greatly encouraged by, even though he was hindered by the devil. He saw past that temporary hindrance and knew that one day we'll all be there together. It will be worth it all, the hymn writer says. And it will be worth it all. Look at the next point here. Suffering together. Go back to Romans chapter 8. And this is what, you know, as a part of life, we do this a lot. We suffer. We go through difficult times. I remember when we were, we were up there in Georgia a year ago now. We, were, we took our last vacation up there to Georgia, spent some time with some friends. Was on a, a disc golf course, you know, or just whatever. And Kyla, she's probably about 20 yards away. She says, "Hey, there's a situation that came in. Situation? What is that? Well, that was an opportunity for us as hopeful adoptive parents to apply to a birth mother that was looking to give their child up for adoption to place a child. And we, I look, I, you know, this was our tenth one. We had been so close twice, and those were those were very difficult moments. And that's all I'm going to say. But that was a very difficult thing." to get so very close, and then not have it, but we, we would always fall back on that God has a plan. We were content whether we were able to receive a child or not, that this was going to be fine. Because one day I'm going to be in heaven. And I'm not going to be in heaven wondering, man, I if I only had a kid, it would have been better. Boy, everything's good right now, amen? Because I have Jesus Christ. She called out to me from like 20 yards away, and she's like, hey, did you see this one? I'm like, no. 
So he was like, should I apply? I'm like, sure. You know, everything's good. But we come back, we literally get back. The hurricane happens, you remember. We have no water. Get water back, we have our missions conference. That Thursday, I'm in my office. I was not planning to be in my office that Thursday night. I was in my, I, I was in my at-home clothes. You know, I just had some red sauce and it was on my white shirt. I'm just like, you know, sitting there getting ready for Sunday. And we get a call that we got selected. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is happening. And the birth date was not until the 20th of, de- of December. And we were like, we got, we got time. Great. And she goes, well, there's, there's been a development. Um, you know, there's an RH factor, and she's going to be going into labor tomorrow. And it was like, as she said that, it was like, she's going to be going into labor tomorrow. <laughs> and, you know, it's like a concussive grenade has gone off, and it's just, I'm like looking around like, Mr. Martinez? Yes? <laughs> like, the next day, we met Remy's biological mother, had a good conversation, things were rough, not in the discussion, but just the circumstances that happened, and Remy was born the 19th. We were in the hospital for three days as it was a back and forth, will she, won't she, will she, won't she. And there were times where we were, we were told things that were intentionally deceptive, and it, it got, you, you're so close. You've seen and held her. You know that this is the best thing for her with the situation that was going on. And I can't give you those details. But just trust me to know, it was, it, there was a lot happening. And we're just, the whole time, we're learning to trust the Lord. But we suffered in that time. That was difficult. But you know what always brought me back? Always refocused me that I have Jesus. And I know that people use that nowadays. I I hear these songs like, I speak Jesus into this. I speak Jesus into that. I speak Jesus into your bank account. I speak Jesus into your mortgage. I hear these things. I'm like, they don't recognize the power in that name. You know the power that comes with that name? Eternal life. And you already have it. You don't have to wait for that. But we suffered. And I know many families that have suffered. Now we're, we're in this very interesting group that we, we can communicate with people who are, are that close to an adoption going through and then something happens. It's worth it. Well, because Pastor Jesse says it, are you going to be going through hard times and say, Pastor Jesse went through his adoption so I could go through it too? No, I got something way better than my story. Look at verse 18 of Romans chapter 8. Verse, uh, page 1201. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. You know what it means to be Unworthy. You're not even brought up. You, no, no, no. We're not even going to discuss that. Are not worthy, what? To be compared with what? The glory which shall be revealed in us. What does it mean for the glory to be revealed in us? At the end of it all, when the new heaven, new earth, we're all in heaven, that day, what we are working towards, what we, are, we know is a guarantee. That is not worthy to the suffering we go through now. You know what this is? It is a change in perspective. This is the truth. What? The sufferings here? Yes, but they're all temporary. They're all going to fade away. That glory that's going to be revealed in us, that's coming. And we can enjoy it now. And people are not excited about this. It seems like sometimes people go to prayer meetings and they're, they don't believe that God will hear their prayer. Oh, you know, if the Lord wills. Everybody becomes Eeyore. You know? Then you got somebody like me, like, hey, what's up? 
How you doing? Let me take my tail. This is terrible. Praise God. We don't have to be like, that's a choice that we make, folks. I'm using humor here so that we can recognize how silly that can be. Now, I'm not saying suffering is all silly, but we can grab onto something that is firm and secure. It's It's the coming of Jesus Christ. Live in that. Wake up every day thankful for that. What an encouragement. Look in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, another group that Paul just so desperately wanted to see. And that doesn't mean he didn't want to see the church at Corinth. Trust me, he did, for other reasons. (laughs) But Thessalonica, Philippi, these were special people because of how they responded and continued in the truth. Verse 27 Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, page 1258. Only let your conversation, your behavior, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. What is is it as becometh the gospel of Christ? Well, there's several things, but the one I want to focus on is love. That's what the gospel of Christ is. It is the demonstrated love from God that he sent his son to die for us. Yes, it's forgiveness. Yes, it's justification. Yes, it's sanctification. Yes, it's the coming glorification. But primarily, what manner of love? That's how we should behave and carry ourselves. You love somebody, you'll be willing to forgive them. You love somebody, you'll be willing to put themselves before your own needs. But if you don't love people, you won't do those things. And the Bible says, You're a fool. You're a liar if you think you have fellowship with God but hate your brother. That's not a 7-Eleven big gulp, folks. That's something tough where you go, I have some things I need to work on. Look what he says in the middle of verse 27. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Where, did they have adversaries? Yes. Were they doing terrible things? Yes. But they didn't have to live in those. Which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. You suffer persecution, you know why. You're a believer. The world despises you. you know, you're, you're taught in grade school, don't say hate, it's a strong word. The devil doesn't abide by those rules, folks. Verse 29, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. We're born into the family. We're serving together. We're suffering together. But we're also looking together. Look in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Looking together for what, right? Oh, we're looking for a great political leader folks the next great political leader he may just be that capital a antichrist careful i think it's interesting all the stuff that's going on in israel right now and with gaza i think it's really interesting some of the things that are being said by politicians i'm hearing this phrase a lot we need peace and safety we need peace and security i go i'm looking i'm like you know going to the uh Suit shop. What can I get you? I need a white robe, please. (laughs) Do you have any? (laughs) 
Can you fit it for my new body? I don't think I'll have this, you know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just, it's startling. You know, I was talking to my father-in-law about it, and I was saying, you know, you realize how close we are. But you also recognize this is just a taste of what's going to happen in that tribulation period. Folks, I'm following, you know, you know, people that are like on the ground, they have these little like telegram channels and stuff, and you just recognize how much we don't know about life over there. You just somebody put it really well. They're like, you're, we're, you know, we're raking autumn leaves. We're going out and having you know time with our family, and over there, they're at war. It's different. That's that will be here. I don't know when, but we know it's going to be. People are going to lose their lives. Christians certainly, and unbelievers too. Plague, pestilence, disease earthquakes, hail, meteorites falling down on the earth, water turning into blood, all these things that comparable to the plagues in Egypt, they're coming back again. And people are being conditioned for it, but you know what? Believe, many believers now, we're, we don't have urgency. We're not looking for his return. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, it says this, page 1284, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. By the way, how many people are called to believe? Everybody. It's appeared to all men. The sovereignty of God has given man free will and, and holds him accountable to what he does with his free will. Teaching us, oh, this is important. It's not just, well, I'm saved now, so I can just... <whistles> everything's good. Yes, you have eternal life. But you should also respond to this teaching. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that, ooh, for that, you know, okay hope. That blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, who? Jesus Christ. We're, we should be, that should be the heartbeat of our service. I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. I want to share the gospel with this person because I want them to see him with me. <laughs> Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. That includes news. That includes blogs and articles and podcasts, and simulcasts, and live streams. Don't let that despise you. You know who you are. And if you've forgotten, you've been reminded. Don't let that slip away. Because when the moment that that slips away, the moment that that departs out of your focus, is the moment you look back on self, folks. James says it. Don't be a hearer only be a doer a doer is somebody that <clears throat> does things they're active when you say you're going to pray for somebody pray for somebody when you say lord use me be ready to be used i see that a lot lord whatever your will is for my life and then they sit down you know they look at their watch they're like i don't feel it yet Okay, 
God has already said to go into all the world. Oh, but that's for the missionaries. We're not a miss- you're not a missionary? I think a lot of times people try to look at something thousands of miles away when they don't recognize something that's a couple of feet away in their next door neighbor's door. These are important things. You want to be used by God, be in a position to be used. Put yourself in a place where you can be used for God's glory. Don't, don't wait for the Spirit's leading. He's already told you. And this is why it's so dangerous when we go outside of the Word for some type of revelation that we're not satisfied with what's here. Speaking of revelation, let's go there to Revelation 19. These will be the last few verses that we look at. We're born into a family. We're serving together. We're suffering together. We're looking together. So on page 1348, Revelation chapter 19, starting there in verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the voice of many waters, and as the voice of all my excuse me, of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice. And give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. This is the church. This is you and I. We have a wonderful privilege to be at this table together, to dine with him, to enjoy fellowship with him. It's not in stoic observation. We're not going to sit there and go, and just, I, I don't see that here. I see joy, I see privilege that we can be here because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and He gets all the glory. Right before this was the judgment seat of Christ where we will receive reward for the profitable things that we did here in this life. And now we get to go into this marriage supper together. But look at what it says here at the end of this passage, verse 8, "...and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen." clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These things are true sayings of God. Notice what John does here. He's seeing this revelation. He, he, he does this. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. Who is, who is he worshiping here? Well, he was worshiping this angel that was delivering this news. But what does he say? I am a fellow servant. That's pretty powerful. When you share the gospel message, when you live this sober, this life soberly, righteously, you're in agreement with the angels who have more physical power than we do. They minister to us in this way. But I want you to see something here. I am thy fellow servant, verse 10, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. There's a couple things I want to pull out from this. The first thing is, we should worship God, period. Not man. Not our family traditions. We should worship God and what aligns with His teaching. Second, any teaching on prophecy that contradicts the death, burial, and resurrection as satisfactory for the payment of sin is not the spirit of prophecy. I see this a lot with what's happening today. P- 
People are making channels, they're making videos, and they have zero idea what they're talking about. You ask them how you can know for sure they're going to heaven, they say you've got to turn from sin. You've got to ask Jesus into your heart. You've got to commit your life unto him. That is not the spirit of prophecy. What is the spirit of prophecy? It points to Jesus. You have a works-based gospel, you have another gospel, which is not of the same, it's of a whole different thing. Here's something that's of the same, right? You have an apple and a banana. How are they the same? They're both food items. They're both, both fruit. Two different objects, but they're of the same category. What does it mean that it's something, it's not of the same, but something entirely different? That'd be like an apple and a car tire. They're, they're not even compared. You don't go, well, you know, I, I do enjoy a tire every once in a while. You know, I'm not a, much of a tire guy, but you know, if it's served, I'll eat it. That's, that's not what that means. It's something totally different. That's what a workspace gospel is. And this is what's dangerous, folks. As we suffer together, as we serve together, as we look together, we've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. He's not going away. Neither is that death, burial, and resurrection. Neither is what brings a person into eternal life. We're going to go right into chapter 21 here. Chapter 21 of Revelation, page 1351. After the thousand-year reign, after the devil is loosed and then there's a final rebellion and it's squashed out, after the great white throne judgment, we slip into eternity. As a kid, I would often lay in bed after I started coming here to Calvary, which this changed my life, by the way. This church changed my life. It changed my life. I was sitting right over here where Marjorie and Carolyn were on a Wednesday night, and I came in here and I heard for the first time the Old Testament and the New Testament together. You know, I grew up in a Baptist church where it was pretty much, you should abstain fornication. And the deacons would, you know, you'd know, you know the difference between a deacon and an elder. The deacon would stand up and say amen. The elder would stand up on the pew and say amen. No, he's really saved. I'm not saying that, you know, that, that that was not helpful. It was helpful, but it was very rare for me to see contextual verse by verse expository teaching. That was unique to me. Hold your finger here, hold your finger here, hold your finger here, and you're like, um, <laughs> these pages are heavy. <laughs> there are new pages in like the book of Isaiah that had never been you know, taken apart before, and you're embarrassed. You're like, shh. You know, I hadn't gotten there yet. <laughs> this church changed my life. I started coming here in 2003. It's 2023 now. I met my wife here. I've met many of you here. I've been encouraged. I, I, I got to sit for a small portion of time, but I got to sit under who I consider one of the greatest and plainest Bible teachers I've ever heard, Dr. Hank Lindstrom. I remember the summer. One summer, I worked here for about a week. And all I was doing was, you know, typing up questions of people that were coming in. And I saw Dr. Lindstrom in the same office that I am now. He was kicked back in that chair. He's not even arguing with the atheist who is like losing his mind on the phone with him. And Dr. Lindstrom's like quoting things from Ezekiel. And I'm like, I don't see a Bible. I was just impressed by that. He knew scripture. He knew it. And many people would say, well, all he knows is the gospel. He knew so much more than that. What was different about Calvary and what I know you can identify with is that it was taught plainly here. It wasn't hidden behind some class or some paywall. It's taught plainly. And it's worth everything that people receive. It really is. We heard this in the reunion just the other day with 
ranch in Florida Bible College. There, was, there were a couple guys that said, somebody asked me while I was at MacDill Air Force Base, somebody asked me, do you know where you're going to go when you die? And that changed their life. They trust Christ as Savior, and they go on to do great things. I'm meeting them for the first time. Think of how many people we have not heard from that still were affected by somebody sharing the gospel with them. Well, there's coming a day when it's all going to come to an eternal close. Look in verse 1 of chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. I love verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more separation, no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Let me tell you what those former things are. They are passed away to us. Yes, of course, there is no more death. There is no more sorrow. There is no more suffering. But there are people who are experiencing eternal separation at this point. Back up into chapter 20, in verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was no, uh, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the second separation and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. These are those who die without a payment for their sin applied. This is a true reality. We have not seen it happen yet. John saw it and wrote it. What it must have been for him. Can you imagine seeing that and then writing about it? You don't go back into life the same way. You don't go back into life thinking, oh, everything, business as usual. Folks, we need to make sure that we are adjusted on the goal. We need to win people to Christ. This ministry was effective because it kept the gospel the priority. Many of you trusted Christ from a radio broadcast or somebody inviting you here because they heard a radio broadcast. That's how my in-laws got saved. Grew up in Pentecostal holiness, had a horrible experience, went away from church, came here after the September 11th attacks. 2001, they started coming here. And someone invited my mother-in-law. Oh, have you heard so-and-so on the radio? Well, he's got a church right here. And they got saved. <laughs> my wife got saved. Wasn't my wife then. She said she knew she would be, but that's a whole different thing. <laughs> I met people here that loved the gospel, that shared it, that kept it clear. And even though we grow into all these, you know, you learn about prophecy, you learn about all these different things that 
the three tenths of salvation and, and, and you know, warnings against false teaching and all that, we can't let all of that distract us from the main thing. People need to hear the truth. And every time I think of verse 4, I remember that just before that, John described the great white throne judgment. They'll be forgotten to us, but they'll be forever separated from God. Let it not be because we did not try. Let it not be because we decided, I don't want to offend them. I'd rather offend somebody and have them end up in heaven because they put their trust in Christ than have them go to hell comfortable. I'd rather that. We're here together. We get to fellowship with one another. We're going to have a great meal in a few minutes. But don't forget why we're doing what we're doing. And don't remember, same time, same place next week. Be here if you can. Encourage one another. Look what it says in verse 5. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Oh, I love that. It's free. You mean I can trust Jesus Christ? I don't have to do any works. I just need to believe? Yes. That's all. That's great. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. We have already understand what an overcomer is from 1 John 5, the one who believes. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable murderers, whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. This is the second, which is the second death. John has reiterated this now after the new heaven and the new earth to show you that this place, that lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, it still exists at this point in time where there is no time and you may say, well, I'm a liar. I, 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 you know, I, I've, I'm fearful, murdering, whoremonger, whatever it may be. You have a new nature. It was born of God. It cannot sin. Why? Because it's born of God. That's pretty simple. We should understand what sin is and avoid it. There will be people who spend an eternity in hell because they did not believe. I don't want that to be said of you. And if you're here today, and you may have walked in and said, Pastor, I know I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. I'm not as bad as whoever you may want to compare yourself to. That's not what gets you to heaven. Close your Bibles and I want to share with you the most important news in all the world. Somebody made this for me as an illustration and as you can see, it's homemade. It's homemade sin. And this represents exactly what it says. Sin. This hand is going to represent you and me. This sin, I put on top of you and on top of me. I'm a sinner just like you are a sinner. Everybody has fallen short. That's what the word means, to miss the mark. This sin, it separates us from God. Why? He's perfect. There is no sin. There is no sin in Him. There is no darkness in Him. There's no sin in Jesus Christ. If we wanted to get to heaven of our own good works, we couldn't because we have sin. Now this must be paid for. And God loves us very much hates this sin because it separates us from him. And many religions teach, if I'll just let you know, my notes here represent a list of good works, and they say, I can cover my sin with turning from it. I can cover my sin with giving money to the church. I can cover my sin by 
loving my wife, being a good parent, being a good citizen. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That's how this is paid for, not good works. That's one of the greatest lies the devil's telling right now. You just be really good. Just be like Christ. Just, you know, give your, give your all and he'll, he'll do right. He'll honor that. He won't because this is not an accepted form of payment. Not of works, lest any man should boast. This needs to be paid for. And that's what Jesus Christ did. This hand represents the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. Fully God and fully man. And what was done for us 2,000 years ago was for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth. People call that easy believism. Well, it is easy for some people to understand that, but for many people it's hard because they're carrying a lot of this and they say, I'm not worthy enough. You don't know me like I know me. Well, God knows you better. And He still offered Jesus for you. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You won't experience that second death. Why? Because that second death is for this. And this has been paid by Jesus Christ. So now when God looks at you, He sees the righteousness of His Son. You are now eternally secure. And you can have great assurance that regardless of what happens here in this life, you will be with the Lord in heaven. And you may say, how do I receive that? You simply believe. You put your trust in Jesus Christ. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. That what He did, He did to pay for your sin. The moment that you do, you are born again. You've got a brand new nature. You've got the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Congratulations. You're adopted and it's finalized. You are forever a child of God. I hope as we go back there and fellowship with one another and we laugh and we, I'm sure there'll be tears as well. And we look at those pictures and we remember those who have gone before and how things have just changed here. We remember we still got Jesus Christ. That's what makes this fellowship sweet. And if you're here and you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you can be a part of that. You can enjoy it. But I, you know, I, I'm, I just trusted Christ. I'm not accepted yet. No, you are. You're in. Isn't that good? You know, it's like, okay, let's see. Three to seven weeks. We'll see if you really believed. Oh, he rose again from the dead, folks. Your salvation is taken care of. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, please. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody looking around. I pray you've been encouraged this morning. But I also want to ask if there may be somebody here today that says, Pastor, I'm, I've never really thought about heaven. Or maybe you say, I've thought about it a lot and I don't know where I'm going to go when I die. I want to ask you a question. Will you believe that the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, paid for your sins? Folks, we all know we're not good enough. That's why Jesus died, to do what we could not do. And I want to ask you, if you'd like to know that you're going to heaven, would you simply put your trust in Him? If that made sense to you and you say, Pastor, I'm going to trust on Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you're saved. You can know that you have eternal life. Why? Because you do good works afterwards? No, no. Because you believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God, that's Jesus Christ. 
and I would like to pray for you. Would you simply raise your hand and just let me know, Pastor, I trusted Jesus Christ today. I know I'm going to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anyone at all before we close? Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that you believed, and I'd like to pray for you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. I know times have changed. We've all gotten older. Life has been difficult. Things are not getting better. But we're not of this world. Your circumstances do not define you. Would you thank the Lord in these few moments? Would you thank Him that we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are not born of our flesh and blood, but by the Spirit? Would you be encouraged and motivated to win souls? To share the gospel with a lost and dying world? Starting with your neighbors, your co-workers, your family members? Would you do what is necessary to bring them under the sounds of the truth so that they may believe? And finally, would you pray for this ministry? Would you pray for the ministry here at Calvary? That it would continue to flourish and reach new people and encourage those that are here. I say this in closing. I am encouraged to see you today. And I'm looking forward to having some fellowship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we have together. I pray for the food in the back that it would be a blessing of nourishment to our bodies and the fellowship would nourish our souls. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Bring us back here safely tonight for Awana and also for our evening message. In the wonderful, precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things.